Welcome to this week's Insight Podcast on the Acadia Broadcasting Network. I'm David Campbell. I'm, I'm Don Mills. Don, we're starting a series of podcasts on the forest product sector in Atlantic Canada, particularly in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. We'll try to get somebody on from Newfoundland as well. Uh, but the, we started today with, uh, with an, the executive director of Forest New Brunswick and the head of government relations with AV Group. And I think we had a very interesting discussion that'll be very enlightening for the listeners around the state of the forest product sector in New Brunswick, some of the big challenges, some of the big opportunities, and just exposure uh, to what's going on right now in the sector in New Brunswick. Uh, the reason we wanted to do uh, the forestry sector is that it's um, it, it kind of flies under the radar. People don't pay a lot of attention to it, yet in the case of New Brunswick, it's the number one export uh, for the province. People don't realize that it uh, creates uh, 26,000 direct and indirect jobs. It, it's a big part of what happens in uh, New Brunswick. And, and, and contrary to, I think, most people uh, sense, the, the industry is not in decline. It's actually starting to grow again. And, of course, the demand for wood products, especially in relation to housing, is, is on the rise and, and will be a, in strong demand uh, for the foreseeable future. That's right. And I think the listeners will be impressed or, or interested in what uh, Mike Legere has to say about AV Group. It's a part of an India-based uh, global conglomerate with 180,000 employees. Uh, and they are actually producing pulp here in New Brunswick that is shipped to Asia and turned into clothing. And so you've got people wearing jeans in uh, India and China in these places using pulp uh, from uh, New Brunswick Forest. So it's kind of interesting how that sort of diversification away from newsprint to, uh, to, uh, to materials used in, in, uh, in um, you know, fabric for clothing is a very interesting trend, but also the fact that they export hundreds of millions of dollars worth of New Brunswick product to Asia is a source of diversification for the industry. Yeah, and I didn't know much about the AV group. I, I was actually surprised by some of the numbers. You know, they employ uh, up uh, close to 2,000 uh, people in the province. Uh, they export uh, over $300 million worth of exports to Asia. You know, it's uh, one of the big businesses in, in the province that I, I'm sure very few people have heard about. So that was an interesting uh, side of the story uh, that we heard. So there's a number of challenges around uh, workforce development, uh, trying to address the carbon decarbonization challenge, the net zero 2050 targets, the carbon tax, some of the challenges in the U.S. around uh, new funding programs to help uh, U.S. mills reduce their carbon intensity. So there's lots of challenges, but I thought, um, uh, particularly Mike in general, near the end makes a really strong case actually for the forest products industry in New Brunswick and uh, some of the issues around the quality of the wood. Uh, and he actually called the, uh, I'm just going to get the exact number here, the exact title. He called the Crown Land and Forest Act in New Brunswick brilliant. And I wanted to throw that in because I, you rarely hear anybody talk about government and brilliant in the same sentence. So I'm, I'm sure the <laughs> folks folks from DNR were gonna, are going to be very happy when they hear that. Yeah, and the one thing that I wanted to mention that's been, uh, you know, a decades-old problem for uh, New Brunswick's uh, forestry industry is the software wood uh, tariffs that the United States have, in many cases, unfairly applied to 
uh, New Brunswick's products. And, um, you know, Canada's won many rounds uh, uh, at, at the international level on this issue. Uh, they've proven time and time again that they're not subsidizing the wood. The U.S. is unprepared to accept that. And, of course, being the country that they are, you know, they don't necessarily like the fall of the international laws when it doesn't, you know, apply to them directly or when it applies to them directly. So this is an ongoing issue. It's an important issue. I would think, and we mentioned in the podcast, that with the growing demand for housing, the issues on supply chain, that there should be a softening of the concerns of the softwood industry in the U.S. about competition because they cannot supply all the demand. And, uh, and so the problem with the Canadian side is that it's cheaper than the U.S. product, not, not just because of the exchange rate, but, you know, because it's cheaper. Uh, so there are challenges on both sides of the border when it comes to the softwood uh, lumber, obviously. No doubt, but you'll hear all of that and more in our conversation with Kim Allen from Forest, New Brunswick, and Mike Legier from AV Group. Without any further ado, here is our conversation with these two about the state of the forest industry. Welcome to the podcast, Kim and Mike. Thank Thanks very much. So we'd like to first uh, just give our listeners a sense of who you folks are. So maybe we can start with with you, Kim, what is your career path? What, how, how did you end up ultimately uh, in your role as executive director of Forest Envy? Uh, well, I started my early career uh, working in the ag sector, agriculture. Um, spent a few years living in Nova Scotia, attending college there. Um, came back to New Brunswick and um, worked at UNB for a bit and finished a couple of degrees and uh, I uh, did a master's degree in, in environmental management and uh, after that ended up working with the provincial government for 11 years. So worked in Department of Environment and the Department of Aboriginal Affairs. And uh, was fortunate enough, I guess, to um, meet the, the board or the hiring committee from the board of Forest NB and uh, seemed like a great fit. Uh, a lot of um, farmers and producers have woodlots, so agriculture and forestry are, I, in my opinion, they're intricately um, related, so it, it was just a good fit. Okay, how long have you been in that role, Kim? Uh, just over two years. And what about you, Mike? What's, uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, career path. Yeah, a bit of a circuitous route, I guess, David, to get to where I am uh, today uh, as Director of Government Relations with AV Group. Um, but I, um, I was a biologist by training. I, uh, I studied at uh, Mount Allison in Sackville and uh, stayed there for a couple of years and worked in that field uh, as a research uh, lab technician. And uh, moved, uh, really got my feet wet in the, in, the, in the forestry sector with the Maritime Lumber Bureau. I, I, uh, I started with them. Um, Oh, it was around 1990, and a very different world then uh, in the forestry sector as compared to today. Uh, Maritimes was all about export to the United Kingdom. Uh, the The market was very, very strong there. You know, the current, I guess, the current situation we see with most of our exports going into the U.S. was was not wasn't the same the same uh, the same uh, playbook at all. Um, you know, I, I thought I'd stay there for five years. I ended up making a 15-year career out of the uh, out of the uh, the lumber inspection game and uh, and the regulatory regulatory side of things. But um, 
it really exposed me to to the sector. Uh, of course, the, the Maritime Lumber Bureau uh, was responsible for uh, for grade inspection and training, uh, and also they were heavily involved at that time with uh, with uh, tariff barriers, non-tariff barriers into the UK with pinewood nematode, and of course, as the softwood lumber dispute started to uh, to heat up in the uh, in those earlier years, uh, that was uh, it was a, a good. Um, it was it was a good place to learn. Uh, it was certainly trial by fire. So, uh, 15 years later, I found myself looking at uh, a downturn in the sector, and uh, opportunity knocked at the door in the form of uh, work with uh, in the public sector with uh, Canada Mortgage and Housing, and I spent uh, seven years there. And uh, then the sector beckoned me back, and uh, I actually sat in Kim's chair for about seven years and then uh, lured away by AV Group, uh, well, about two years ago when, when Kim came in and replaced me in the role of executive director. So full circle, David, from, uh, from a, a biologist working in a little lab and a lumber inspector back, back to the sector, so. I want to learn a little bit more, uh, Kim, about Forests uh, NB. Um, maybe you can tell us uh, kind of what your role is, uh, who you represent and, and how the organization is governed. Certainly. Uh, so Forest NB is um, a nonprofit industry organization that represents the interests of um, forest product producers in the province of New Brunswick, as well as um, you know the interests and, and the business of our, many of our supply chain partners and other partners in the sector um, you know, we have a safety association, uh, Force Protection Limited. We work closely with organiza organizations like that. Um, governance, uh, we have a board of directors uh, made up of, uh, from across our membership of producing members in the province. So that would be the mills or manufacturing plants, um, production plants for wood products. Uh, we also have um, membership in a couple of other categories that are in the supply chain uh, in one one form or another. Um, our organization is fairly small. We currently have four staff. And, you know, our role is, uh, specifically my role as executive director is advocacy and, you know, the lobbying aspects, um, being that, that voice with um, various levels of government, um, public engagement, for um, the forest sector in general, um, as well as our, our members um, in, in the province of New Brunswick and uh, represent, represented uh, in a Canadian context as well. And Mike, I, I think it would be safe to say that AV, the AV group is not well uh, known, um, uh, even in New Brunswick, uh, it, but it's part of a large conglomerate uh, a major organization. Tell us a little bit about uh, the corporate side, first of all, and um, and its uh, and its work in New Brunswick. Yeah, no, that's that's a good observation, Don. We're 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 probably not as well known as we'd like to be, and sometimes it's a it's a bit of a double-edged sword. How much you want to be out there, and and how much mm -hmm. you want to stay under the radar. But um, you know, for for. You know, we are a true conglomerate um, based out of Mumbai uh, in India. Um, you know, the company has quite a quite a history. Um, it was founded in 1947. So AV Group actually is part of uh, one of those multiple divisions called Grayson uh, Industries. And, and Grayson actually holds a couple of different 
uh, companies as well. Uh, Ultratech Cement, which is the largest producer of concrete uh, in globally outside of China. Uh, we also have the um, the uh, the Carbon Black Unit, which uh, which is uh, you know largest producer of carbon black in the world, which goes into of course your 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 tires and, and industrial rubber. And then there's the pulp and fiber business, which we're part of. Um, and you know, this this is really the flagship company, Graysom, for the Aditya Birla Group. Um, outside of Graysom, there's also uh, probably about a dozen other uh, other divisions, everything from uh, Novellus rolled aluminum. Um, there's, I mentioned the carbon black business, telecommunications, insulators for, uh, for hydroelectricity transmission. And the list is, is pretty lengthy chemicals as well. But um, the Grayson portion was founded in 1947. And uh, it's, uh, again, I mentioned it as being the flagship company because it's one of the first ones that was that was formed and, and grew largely from that uh, from that time. So, you know, for us, none of the none of the divisions consolidate the reporting, we're all independent, uh, we, we live and die by our own means. Um, but um, in New Brunswick, the company has been actually we're celebrating 25 years in New Brunswick this year. Um, so you know we've we've had a, a fairly stable presence. Uh, we came in in 1998 and acquired our first uh, mill in Athelville. Uh, at the time, uh, the Athelville mill was producing craft um, uh, pulp for newsprint. And um, of course, we we all knew where where newsprint business was going. Uh, the mill found itself in difficulty, and Burla came in on the joint venture and and uh, converted the mill to dissolving grade pulp. Same thing happened in Nakwick. We acquired that in 2005. Uh, Nakwick at the time was St. Anna Nakwick, and uh, it was producing specialty paper, uh, in particular for Kodak. So photographic paper, so like newsprint, uh, not not really a, a winner at the, at that stage. So uh, that was shortly converted after that to dissolving grade pulp as well. And um, the you know for, for us, we're really we're lucky because we have a captured client in the parent company Grayson. We produce dissolving grade pulp. It's especially pulp that goes into the manufacture of visco staple fiber, and that goes into textile manufacturing. So the the uh, the uh, the the yarn spinning, the uh, you know the thread manufacturer is all done in uh, in, in Asia, uh, and then it goes into uh, into domestic uh, apparel, uh, domestic textiles. Uh, Mike, just tell us how many employees uh, work in. Uh... In New yeah, I mean, the, the group as a whole has 185,000 people worldwide, but here in New Brunswick, uh, the two mills would uh, would employ directly and indirectly around 2,000. Okay, that's a that's a big number, and and uh, for me, it's a bit of a surprise to learn about your organization. I, I mean, I've done a lot of work in New Brunswick. David, I don't know about you, but uh, the name, the AV group, has not been high on the list. No companies that I've known about. So you have flown very well under the radar, Mike. <laughs> I have a nice scarf, a very nice, beautiful scarf that's made <laughs> by the company using New Brunswick fiber. It's very interesting. <laughs> uh, we want to talk a little bit uh, broadly uh, about the uh, impact of the forest industry in New Brunswick. Um, Kim, I guess this is a question that you can answer. Maybe Mike, you can jump in, but one of understand the contribution of the sector to the economy 
Uh, can you provide a, an overview for our listeners of uh, the importance of the sector in terms of jobs, exports, taxes, that sort of thing? Yeah, sure. Um, so we did a little bit of uh, work with the department back in at the end of 2021 um, and sort of reevaluated those economic um, factors. And at that time, um, you know, we had, uh, you know, the forest sector itself was a $1.9 billion contribution to the provincial GDP, um, employing just slightly over 26,000 people in the province, both directly and indirectly um, in the sector. Uh, we have, you know, a, um, income over al almost a billion dollars um, with tax revenue that was direct, uh, tax revenue of 232 million for direct employment in, in the sector. Um, if you add in the indirect, it's over $400 million in tax revenue for the province. And I think it's good to note too, Don, that you know a lot of those jobs are, are, are rural jobs, uh, especially on the uh, on the woodland side of things. So harvesting and procurement of fiber, um, you know, this the sector in New Brunswick would would touch at minimum 50 communities, and uh, you know you, you take communities where there's a big presence, ourselves for example, or or any of the others, uh, the, the larger manufacturers they're probably responsible for the lion's share of municipal taxes in the communities where they where they're where they're situated yeah that's a good point the other the other thing is i think a lot of people would would assume that this is a sector in decline i mean there have been uh, mills that have been closed over the years but it's 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 it certainly has stabilized and seems quite healthy at, at the moment would that be a correct assumption yeah, I think in terms of those economic numbers, particularly the number of jobs, we've seen an increase over the last five to seven years. Um, I think the last, uh, you know, sort of sector-wide analysis that was done about 2018, there were about 24,000 people working in the sector. So we're seeing we're seeing an increase in that. Yeah, one of our goals here is to educate our listeners as to the importance of the sector in New Brunswick and, of course, across the rest of Atlantic Canada. Uh, one of the things that people think about is they, they look at the refinery and they see, you know, $10 billion in exports and they think that's our largest exporter. And it is in terms of a dollar amounts. But if mm -hmm. you back out the $8 billion in imported crude, all right, the, the, the amount of actual value added in New Brunswick is much, much less than the forestry sector. So I think people need to understand that in terms of the export sector, uh, forestry is by far the most important one uh, in New Brunswick. So we want to talk to you a bit about the challenges facing the sector today. As Don indicated, some people think it's a sunset industry or it's an industry in decline. And we want to talk to you about what we need to do to make sure it continues to to be this economic driver for New Brunswick, particularly rural New Brunswick, as Mike said. So why don't we start with the workforce? Many sectors are facing difficulties recruiting staff. We'd like to find out from you uh, how are things in the forest product sector. So maybe we can start with Mike this time as with a company example and then jump back to, to Kim for the sector wide perspective. Yeah, I mean, when we look at you know the three big uh, the three big cost areas for for a mill, um, la labor's up there. I mean, it's, it's fiber, energy, and labor. Um, with labor in particular, you know, we're not we're not you know guarded like as compared to any other industry or sector. Uh, we're facing the same challenges. 
uh, we're going to lose about 50% of our of our workforce uh, at AV Group alone, uh, simply because of retirement by uh, by 2030. Uh, and that's uh, that's people that are in a position uh, to retire or, or will retire. Um, that's a big gap to fill, and uh, you know, immigration is one of the tools. Greater promotion of the of trades and uh, and career paths uh, at the uh, at the secondary and post secondary level is important. We rely on our partners with Forest NV, for example, uh, to help promote that. Um, we take on some initiatives with uh, with some of the educational institutions. You know, we're lucky we have a good a good cluster around us of academic support. Uh, NBCC has just recently put in a mobile training unit, which uh, which several industry members supported, including ourselves, to, to bring trade, um, some portion of, of trades training to the communities just to make it easier for people to get involved and promote. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's that type of thing that, that's in our playbook to try to, uh, to bolster the, uh, the, the pool of people that we can find. Mechanized uh, um, forestry equipment operators is another big one. Um, it's it's great to have uh, uh, you know uh, an annual AEC um, offered to us, but we need we need people to go out there and harvest, and they have to be productive. And, and productivity is a big issue for us as well. Um, we we recognize that we have productivity uh, challenges compared to other jurisdictions. Uh, some of it is inherent with the nature of the forest that we harvest in. Uh, some of it is inherent in the age of equipment that's not being replaced in a timely fashion. Um, and uh, some of it is training and skill development. And uh, we know that uh, we're currently working on a program, Forest NV's uh, quarterbacking a bit of that for us to develop the skilled mechanized forestry equipment operators uh, in collaboration with the province and with, um, and with the uh, Canadian Woodlands Forum. So yeah, it's, it's a challenge for us. Now, having said that, forestry sector jobs, especially in pulp business, we tend to pay better than average wages. Uh, which is which is attractive. Uh, we don't currently have uh, production issues because we don't have enough labor, but uh, it's becoming more and more of a challenge uh, to find that skill. And the last point I guess I could make on that is when you're losing 50% of your senior workforce, all of that knowledge goes with them, and you're bringing in a, a new workforce that are, you know, they're 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 excited, they want to be there, they want to contribute but they don't have the 30, 40, 45 years in some cases of experience. And in a pulp mill, those people can just hear where the problems are. It's almost as much an art as a skill uh, when, it, when you get that much experience under your belt. What about you, Kim? What's the perspective from the 60,000 foot level? Yeah, so Mike um, referenced, you know, some of the work we've been doing here at Forest NB. We uh, have been working with uh, uh, Petal and uh, JDI over the last year and a half, uh, looking at the workforce challenges in the forest sector specifically. Um, our sector was identified as one of the priority sectors in the province. Um, so we've done quite a bit of work in terms of um, planning for initiatives that can help address some of these workforce challenges. Um, currently working on a couple of those. Mike mentioned the uh, partnership that we have with CWF and MBCC right now, um, delivering that mechanized equipment uh, training for uh, a new cohort. Um, and it's got the added benefit of some mentorship and on the job uh, training as well. 
And we're looking at a number of other initiatives. Um, we, we have a big focus in education here uh, at Forest NB. Uh, a, a big part of our communication strategy is focused on outward public communication and education, but also partnering with educational institutions. Um, Mike would have started work earlier, um, partnering with JDI and others in the forest sector. And we're pretty pleased that as a result of that early work that they started and we've continued, um, there is a forestry uh, curriculum that's being delivered in high schools this fall. There's 12 high schools that have um, offered this and they're um, surprisingly not all in rural communities. So it's, a, it's interesting. Um, and we're working here at Forest NB to provide some of the resources for that curriculum as well as um, general public education. Now, look, look, New Brunswickers love the woods. We have, on a per yeah. capita basis, we rank second in the country in terms of uh, expenditures on all-terrain vehicles. And, of course, there's a network of trails all across the province. So you'd like to think there's a synergy between that love of fishing, yeah. hunting, recreation, and, and actually working in the woods. Well, and that that's a big part of uh, the messaging that we're trying to relay here at Forest NB. And I, I think if you've seen some of the province's um, material uh, forest for all, um, it, th that's the messaging we're trying to relay is that the forest sector itself actually is very conducive to those, those kind of lifestyles and recreation formats and very supportive of that. I mean, the people who work in our forests live and recreate here as well. So um, it, it's just trying to make that, you know, make the sector um, personal for people. So we want to turn to the question of wood supply. Of course, the, your industry relies very much on, on wood supply. The province has allocated more to, uh, to uh, pre preservation. And of course, there's more being allocated to maple syrup and other sectors. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that, get your get your sense of what's going on in terms of wood supply. Do we have enough wood to sustain the industry today to, to seek new growth opportunities? Are we sustainably harvesting the wood? Some folks have suggested that we're going to run out of wood, that we're cutting too much. Um, can you give us a sense of, of your position or your thoughts on the wood supply today uh, in New Brunswick? So maybe start with you again, Kim, and then Mike as a specific company example. Sure. So, um, you know, our perspective and the messaging that we're always promoting is that, yes, we do manage the forest sustainably here in New Brunswick. Um, I think across Canada where we have, a, you know, recognized as having a pretty rigorous forest management system. Um, being, you know, one of the earliest uh, provinces to implement a forest sector or, you know, develop a forest sector, uh, we'd have to be sustainable. You, you can't continue a sector for close to 200 years without managing that resource well. Um, currently, we only harvest about 1.3% of the forest on an annual basis. So uh, that's a number that surprises a lot of people. Um, I think you mentioned, David, you know, you hear comments about we're running out of forest, we're running out of wood. Um, that's not that's not the case for for every um, hectare that's harvested it has to be regenerated um, you know we've got lots of companies out there actively managing these forests uh, various aged um, forest stands and um, ensuring that uh, you know the, the forests stay forests and we are able to utilize that resource um, into the future 
Mike, what about a specific example? How what how is what is AV's position on this? Is there enough wood supply uh, for your operations into the future? Yeah, I mean, I think if again, I'm I'm just hearkening back to a recent podcast you did with uh, with with Herb Emery, and you know, and, and Don made the comment about the industry seems to have stabilized, and and that that's a good that that's a good observation, Don. It I would say it, it has stabilized. In order to grow companies, you have to have wood. Um, you know, currently, you know, the the annual level cut was uh, was frozen by uh, by the current government, um, and and we understood why it was uh, it was basically to kind of reset and take a look at you know the uh, the the ability to to make sure there's sufficient and, and equitable private wood coming into into the into the marketplace, and so there's there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to wood allocation and determining policy around wood supply. Um, in terms of is it being sustainably managed, unequivocally, yes. Um, I know AV manages, like all the other licensees do in the province, uh, based on what the province's objectives are for the land management. So we don't set the objectives, the province does. But part of those objectives include um, the economic side of things. Uh, the government has expectations of royalty. The government has expectations on biodiversity and conservation targets and old growth forests and, uh, and vegetative communities and, and all these things have to be, have to be managed. And it's up to the licensee to deliver on those, on those objectives. Um, our company, uh, we're predominantly a hardwood user. Um, so our mill in Nakawick uses 100% hardwood, uh, hardwood pulp. And our mill in northern New Brunswick and Athelville is 50-50 softwood hardwood. But we also provide wood to 40 other other purchasers. Uh, some of them are softwood lumber mills. Some of them uh, would be secondary manufacturers, uh, other pulp mills. Uh, so, uh, again, we have a responsibility to try to balance all those things uh, to meet the needs and expectations of government and all of our customers and clients throughout throughout the province. Um, I would say the thing that's hampering us or potentially challenging us is uh, uh, there's a lot being asked of the forest. And we see currently there's been a push by the province to increase conservation area. And the target was a doubling of the conservation area, uh, which industry came out uh, and supported. We weren't opposed to that as long as it was done in a, a judicious fashion, not to create winners and losers. And, um, you know, so far there's been some challenges with that. It's, it's unfolded, I think, reasonably well. Um, but every time you add a little more into the conservation layer, it puts more stress on what's outside of the conservation layer to provide the amount of wood that industry needs to, to be able to not only be stable, as Don mentioned, but, but to grow. So that's, that's really one of the pinch points for us is where is the additional wood supply going to come from um, if, uh, if we're asking more of our public forest uh, in terms of, of conservation. Now there's an answer to that. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, turn to, we turn to private wood. Uh, we think private wood sourcing is, uh, is perhaps there's, there's, there's more opportunity there. Uh, the province in the spring session of the legislature actually passed the, uh, the Private Civil Culture uh, uh, Funding Act. Uh, which is going to put more money uh, into private silviculture so that we can have more productive private wood supply. Um, because they also have to meet certain criteria when it comes to annual allowable cut. They can't cut unsustainably. 
and we recognize that. So, yeah, there's there's some opportunity there to to find to find more more fiber for 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 industry, and also they may choose to put those private forests into, into conservation areas as well, which you know is is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, just an editorial comment. I've done a ton of work in New Brunswick over the years on public opinion about the forestry industry. It kind of boils down to two main issues that I see. One, you know, obviously the method of, of, of harvesting is a, is a big issue. Clear cutting is a, is a become a very dirty word um, and, and hard to justify from the industry point of view. The other one is related to a really a lack of understanding about how forests are managed, especially, uh, Kim, you mentioned, only about 1% of the forests are, are cut every year. That means the forests will always be there, even, even if they weren't uh, only relying on natural re regeneration. In fact, uh, most, most companies are, are planting trees. You know, I think G JDI plants three trees for every one they cut on land that they manage themselves. So, uh, Mike, I'm sure your company has a similar process. People don't know these pieces of information. If they did, they would relax a little bit more. I don't you think about their concerns about running out of the forest. And, and for anybody who's flown over Atlantic Canada, <laughs> it's pretty much all forest, you know, <laughs> except for PEI perhaps, but there's a lot of forest. But, you know, the, the, this, is, uh, this is something I think associations like yours, Kim, yeah. Uh, are playing a role trying to educate the public so that they can make more informed uh, decisions about the industry. And it's challenging, I know, because yeah. you never have enough money to do that work, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think another important point that, uh, you know, generally the public doesn't um, know or understand is that all public forests in the province of New Brunswick are third party certified. So the management of our forests is meeting global sustainability um, metric mm. and, and criteria. Uh, and, you know, internationally and globally, Canada's recognized as meeting UN sustainable, sustainable development goals um, in terms of the forest sector. So uh, it's, it, that's a challenge for us. I mean, we know that, we understand that, but communicating that message to the, the public and having them understand that you know, forests here are being managed very well and sustainably. Um, that that's that's our challenge. Of course, uh, I want to move on a little bit to uh, the markets for uh, New Brunswick's forest products. Um, uh, I think all of them, or most of it, goes out outside of Canada. I think, as you pre previously uh, referenced. Um, uh, but, you know, there are some challenges with the U.S. market, especially, I guess, Kim, the softwood uh, lumber tariffs, uh, for as long as I remember, have been an issue. Like, you know, it goes back decades, right? And um, uh, what's the situation on, on those softwood uh, tem uh, tariffs right now? And, and, and kind of what, what is the outlook? Well, um, yeah, as you said, the softwood lumber tariff uh, has been a challenge for decades. Um, and it's a serious challenge for the sector in New Brunswick, as well as other uh, jurisdictions in Canada. Global Affairs Canada continues to, uh, you know, attempt negotiations with uh, the U.S. Trade Department um, and seek opportunities to resolve the, the current conflict. Um, you know, Canada maintains that we, um, that our wood products are um, traded fairly and that, you know, 
we pay a fair market value for our product and um, we don't believe that we should be um, penalized, I guess, um, with tariffs. Um, and so that's, that's what the Canadian uh, Global Affairs Department continues to do. Uh, currently, though, we, you know, we're still uh, in that situation where uh, Canadian softwood product is charged a, a tariff um, for entering the United States. It should be pointed out that Canada's almost won every uh, international uh, fight on this. It's the U.S. that, and their their interpretation, they don't, they actually don't agree with the world ruling on this, right? But it, just to be clear, it's not. It's been pretty clear from a from an international point of view yeah. that we're we're doing things appropriately. The U.S. just won't accept that. Uh, yeah, it's it's a bit of a. a sensitive negotiation. Um, currently, there's some challenges with establishing the uh, panel uh, that would review the latest outcomes on on the uh, dispute. And that's where Global Affairs continues to make those efforts. Uh, also, with the housing crisis that's going on across the North America right now, you got to think that, you know, the push for supply is going to be really critical, and and cost is a big factor in in housing Absolutely. construction today. That's got to benefit Canada in general as a source of lumber for the international market. Well, absolutely, yeah. And our our position has been Canada's position has been you know not only are the tariffs um, unjust for the sector in Canada, but it basically amounts to a tax on U.S. Uh, consumers. Right. Um, you know, housing it. housing is um, a big necessity right now, and uh, it's just adding to the cost of trying to meet those needs. Uh, Mike, I want to just talk a little bit about uh, you know diversifying outside of the U.S. because that's important. Your company uh, is a good example. Um, you, you said you ship all your product to your own own company. I guess. Um, uh, what are the opportunities? Uh, for um, lumber in this region going elsewhere based on what you understand um, right now? I mean, you, you've got, I think Sats Canada has $350 million worth of product being shipped to Asia. I guess most of that would be you, would it? <laughs> yeah, that's that's right, Don. Most of that, most of that is, is us. And, uh, you know, if you're looking, I've been out of the softwood game for a while, but I mean, um, you know, to, to, to the point about um, um, it, it being a bit punitive to home builders in the U.S., I think FPAC had a, a number they put out here, uh, Forest Products Association of Canada, recently saying that the U.S. Uh, is uh, is consuming, uh, well, what was the figure? 38% of the uh, of the uh, of the wood required has to be imported. Or they're they're under by thirty eight percent. They can't sustain one hundred percent of their of their of their wood of their lumber needs to uh, yeah. to meet the demand. That wood's got to come from somewhere. Uh, traditionally, it came from Canada. Uh, now there's been an increase in uh, in imports of European lumber, um, Scandinavian, German, Austrian uh, wood being imported. You've seen significant increases in volumes from Europe coming into the U.S. and um, you know, if you want to talk about carbon reduction and greenhouse gas reductions, uh, 
takes takes a lot of fuel to to, to, to ship lumber from Europe uh, to the U.S. So uh, obviously there there's there's a gap and it's being filled by somebody, just not us. Um, you know, in terms of diversifying to other markets, I, I know for softwood lumber it's it's difficult. The U.S. isn't. You know, it's a relatively easy place to do business. Uh, the culture is similar. Uh, we have exchange uh, exchange rate benefits to shipping into the U.S. Um, it's, uh, it's 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 proximity is is uh, is important. It's close. Uh, we have good relations, long term relationships with uh, with uh, with customers in the U.S. Um, on the pulp side, you know, I can speak a little bit to both. I mean, we have a, AB has a, a pulp mill in, uh, in Ontario also. It's, uh, it's not a dissolving grade pulp mill, it's a, it's a craft pulp mill. And we serve the tissue business and our primary market is, is the U.S. Um, we do sell a bit on the spot market into, uh, into China and, uh, and uh, very little into Europe. Um, but Diversifying from a pulp perspective is 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 a little more difficult. The strategy, our strategy, is to sell internally, vertically integrate ourselves, which some of our colleagues in New Brunswick do very well as well. Um, and that's a bit of a of a of a safety uh, mechanism for us because at the end of the day, in the pulp uh, game, China drives the price. Um, they absolutely are the price setters. The rest of us are just price takers. So, you know, the only way to defend yourself against that is to have a, a bit of a of control on your on your demand. And by being vertically integrated, you can do that. It shields you a little bit. It doesn't shield you from the market price because at some point it's just going to be too darn attractive to buy in the open market when you can't be competitive, you know, in your own house. And uh, that's what we're, we really watch for. That's that's what we have to be careful for is that we are competitive because we're playing on a global stage here and uh, again we're not price makers we're price takers uh, one other question on export markets uh, canada is now a participant in uh, ceta which is the free trade agreement with europe uh, what are what are the potential um, for uh, new brunswick uh, products going to europe kim yeah so um, if you look at the um, forest products that are covered under CETA, it's a pretty limited number of products, OSB, plywood. Um, the majority of our lumber, lumber commodities not covered under that. Um, and there are challenges uh, just getting into the European market. You know, the, the regulatory regime is different. Um, there's certification requirements. Uh, it's, it's, it's expensive. Um, it's not uh, in close pro close proximity, as Mike said. You know that that's a, an additional cost to transport. Um, and currently, there are other uh, European policies that are a little more worrisome for the sector than um, you know the, the benefits that CETA might bring. Um, you know, you've got uh, new new uh, regulation like the Euro European or the EU deforestation free regulation. Um, really uh, looking at that now as a sector across Canada and, you know, how we negotiate that um, with our trading partners in the European Union. Yeah, I think, that, and, and, you know, just speaking from uh, an individual company perspective, it's, you know, Kim spoke of the EU uh, degradation policy that was uh, that was uh, uh, passed by the uh, the European Commission, and now I think it's the European Parliament is, uh, has voted to move it through as well. Um, you know, there's 
again these 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 we almost see it as a as a as a uh, a um, a trade barrier of sorts where we're in a we're in a, in a in a country a jurisdiction where we have the most third-party certified forest in the world um, we're required by legislation to uh, to make sure that we're responsibly managing our forests plus our clients AV, for example, uh, we get calls directly from uh, from the the end user of the uh, of the uh, of the fabric that's being manufactured by our parent company to say, what are you doing in terms of ESG values, uh, focusing on environment, uh, you know, indigenous relations, um, uh, social responsibility. So it's not only certification isn't enough anymore. The actual end customers calling directly and saying, what are you doing? and demonstrate it for me, demonstrate it in a certifiable way. So we're seeing, um, you know, is there opportunities, Don, go back to your question about exporting to other 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 markets. It all depends on, on what the value proposition of the individual company is. You know, are you want to, do you want to be first to market with a new product? Do you want to be lowest cost supplier? Do you want to be, you know, first in service? Um, you know, it, for, for us, our goal is to be lowest cost supplier um, because of who we're competing with. We compete with Brazil, South Africa, and China. Those are our big three uh, competitors. And the you know the the, the level of, of the regulatory constraints are much less in those jurisdictions than what we have. Not necessarily for the better, but it's the reality. Labor costs are lower, fiber costs is lower, fiber supply is greater. You can do a rotation on eucalyptus in Brazil in seven years. I mean, a complete forest regrown in that short period of time. Here, uh, hardwood, it would take you 60 years before you get into into uh, into a mature stand. So those are all constraints that, that we have. Um, but you know, to, to, to Kim's point, CETA, really not of a marginal advantages maybe for some sectors like OSB, but um, probably the effort to get into the market would not would not um, would not ring favorably to, to try to look into those into those expansions. So our next yeah, question: the market's so darn good here right now for OSB. So sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as a, as a as a high level concern being completely reliant on the U.S. market is, is, is you know, at, at least at a high level seems a little bit challenging. But we did want to turn. Our next question is about operating costs. So your comments, Mike, sort of flow nicely into that. Um, I think our listeners might hear what you say and say, well, why, why do we even do it at all in New Brunswick? If Brazil is that much cheaper, if the trees grow that much faster, if the regulations are that much looser. So what is the competitive advantage? What's the value proposition? Are, are, you know, what's the operating cost environment in New Brunswick right now, and how can you compete? Yeah, so I mean, we, I talked about the big three: uh, uh, fiber, uh, energy, and labor. And you know, if we if we unpack it one piece at a time, I mean, on on the fiber side, um, you know, we talked a little bit about availability of fiber. Um, you know, there's there's definitely a need to grow more wood. Um, we have the capability of doing it. Costs are going up for for uh, for wood in the province, um, and it's it's a function of new changes in regulation where they're tying the uh, the royalty rate to a commodity index, which again you know we were consulted on, and then we said 
Sure. You know, we've done that in the past uh, when we had previous uh, fair market value surveys. It was tied to a commodity index. Um, now they're doing it across all products, lumber, pulp. Um, um, I believe they're also indexing it for OSB and for, uh, for other structural panels. So that cost is going up. We understand the rationale behind it. Uh, fair market value is important to be able to demonstrate, especially in the softwood lumber side. Um, and, you know, in fact, that's, it's, it, on one hand, it's, it's, a good, uh, it's a good argument to show that we have a, a fair and open market here. I know our wood costs are increasing because, you know, we have uh, pressure uh, from, especially on the western side of the province, for purchasing uh, hardwood. You know, there's uh, there's several mills on the uh, on the main New Brunswick border, who uh, who drive price up. Uh, good signal of open fair market. So, but it's a reality when you look compared to other jurisdictions, our costs are are considerably higher, um, simply because the proximity of some of those forests to the mills is closer. So their transportation costs are lower, labor is close is lower. Um, it all adds to a, a lower, a lower uh, cost of production for, for those facilities relative to us. Energy side, look, you know, we, we can complain all we want about energy cost. We, we're really not too bad when we compare ourselves to other jurisdictions within, uh, within Canada in particular. But again, we sell in a global marketplace and energy costs are significantly lower in other jurisdictions, especially the big three I mentioned that we compete with on dissolving grade pulp. So it's important for us to try to stabilize the energy cost where it's at. Um, if there's opportunity for us to to reduce use, many of our facilities are almost completely, you know, well, they, they are not speaking only for AV, but we generate our own power. You know, we have the ability to burn biomass and generate our own power. Uh, which is an enormous savings, um, and it also saves us on greenhouse gas tax. So carbon tax is the kicker in all this. Uh, it is uh, not an insignificant cost to industry. Uh, we understand the motivation behind uh, putting a price on carbon to try to incent investment, but the reality is pulp mills in particular in uh, New Brunswick and across Canada for that matter, greatly benefited from the federal program back in the early 2000s uh, uh, it was the uh, the green transformation, uh, pulp and paper green transformation fund, and it was very successful, very well, very well structured, and it resulted in Kim refresh my memory. It's like a sixty percent reduction uh, in greenhouse uh, close, gas emissions. Yeah, uh, close to seventy percent. Close yeah. to seventy percent, quite effective. So all the low hanging fruit in terms of reducing greenhouse gas is pretty much gone. So there's a lot of diminishing returns now, and it's simply there's a not much of a business case to be made to invest, uh, you know, $20 million into a new power turbine um, to save you half a million dollars in carbon tax. The return is just not there. And that's what's concerning because we don't have that in those competing jurisdictions. And Kim may want to talk about in the U.S. again, and we look at the uh, the U.S. have doubled down with uh, with the Inflation Reduction Act, which is pumping half a half a half a billion dollars into uh, directly into uh, decarbonization of manufacturing in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll turn it to you, Kim, and, and maybe talk specifically. We we have a question here on decarbonization and 2050 net zero. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What's the sector's view on on maintaining competitiveness in the forest sector, forest product sector, 
while trying to reach these net uh, net twenty net zero twenty fifty goals. Yeah, so Mike, Mike's articulated, you know, a lot of the challenges um, we face in other, you know, from other jurisdictions that don't have the same uh, rigorous um, regulatory requirements, I guess. Um, you know, we referenced the U.S. Inflation Act, the $783 billion in incentives is earmarked to assist companies to achieve their, you know, their, their national uh, carbon goals. It's hard to compete with that. You know, we're paying a tax here in Canada, and companies in the U.S. are being given incentives to do to do that. So that's that's quite a challenge. Um, I guess in trying to stay competitive here in Canada, you know, a lot of the focus is on staying um, or optimizing your capacity. You know, increasing productivity through improvement. Um, there's lots of opportunity, I think. You know, we look at um, climate change as an opportunity. Um, New Brunswick is situated in, in, in a great location. You know, we've got the infrastructure here. We've got ports, rail, uh, good transportation system. We have, you know, stable government and regulatory um, processes here in the province. And... Um, you know, we've got a government that is in tune with the sector, um, understands the importance of of the sector to the province, and um, you know that's why we work closely with our our partners to ensure that you know regulators understand the impacts impacts of developing their their new policies and regulations and programs. Um, lots of opportunity, I think. Um, you know, on Crown land, for example. You, we can increase productivity on crown land. Um, we, we can manage uh, more intensely for that. Um, and that management also provides other opportunities, you know, um, other o- OEECMs, we call them, you know, other effective conservation me- measures. Um, managing those forests also provides um, fire risk management. And that's an important factor in managing uh, Canada's um, greenhouse gas emissions and, and carbon balance. I mean, we're seeing that play out across the nation in the last few years, and in particular this year in the West. Um, here in New Brunswick, we also have a really strong um, research community. So there's a lot of applied research that's happening in partnership with the industry. Uh, numerous orga- organizations, um, you know, UNB, NBCC, and CCMB. Um, we have NHRI, the National, uh, or the sorry, Northern Hardwoods Research Institute here in, in the province of New Brunswick. Um, organizations like Atlantic, the Atlantic Tree Improvement Council, um, working together as an Atlantic region on, um, you know, tree improvement and genomics that will help adapt our forests to changing climate and better be able to manage uh, carbon. So lots of opportunity, but definitely some challenges um, facing the sector. Mike, just before I turn it back to Don, you've been around 30 years. Why, why aren't these incentives provided by the U.S. government uh, falling afoul of NAFTA rules or, or the new Canadian whatever agreement? Yeah, that's, that's a, good, a good question, David. And, uh, you know, when, you, when, when you're sleeping next to the elephant, uh, it seems that, uh, you know, the elephant can, can do no wrong. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess that that's a question for for our, our, our 
our colleagues uh, at uh, at Global Affairs. You know, where, where does this fall into into the realm of of uh, of subsidy? Is it the, a case of the pot calling the, the kettle black? Uh, it, it, it'd, be, it'd be an interesting one for them to unpack. Um, but you know. It's easy to sit and, and, and list all the challenges and, and look like the sky is falling and we're in a perpetual state of, of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of uncertainty. But go back to your question, David, why, why do we, why does AV Group stay here? You know, we know because if you take a look and look, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a, it, it, there's warnings. We've seen it before. We've had several mills, big reconciliations back in the, uh, in the 2000s during the downturn. Um, those companies didn't go out of business. They just stopped doing business in New Brunswick. Uh, UPM, Stone, uh, they, um, you know, they, they, they just went, they went elsewhere where the environment was more conducive to making investment. Uh, we stay because, again, we've got the, the benefit of having a captured client with our parent company. Um, we have some of the most, not some, the most productive forest in the country, even marginally better than British Columbia, given the size of the, you know, and the nature of the forest that grows there compared to here. Six times more productive than Nova Scotia, uh, four times more productive than Ontario, three times more productive than Quebec. And that all comes back to the uh, the third part, which is, well, wood quality too. I mean, we have an Acadian forest type here and the wood quality is a mixture of, you know, boreal type more in the northern part of the province and more mixed hardwood, uh, uh, tolerant hardwood species in the, uh, in the southern parts of the province. For us, the wood quality is excellent for making dissolving grade pulp, especially the higher grades. You can't find that anywhere else in the world. Uh, and I'm sure some of my colleagues that are in the uh, hardwood uh, transformation business, like Group Savo, would agree. You just can't get sugar maple anywhere. Um, the last thing is the Crown Lands and Forest Act. It's a brilliant piece of legislation, despite the criticisms that uh, that it undergoes um, by, uh, by by certain uh, by certain by certain uh, circles. It's a very good piece of legislation. It's what's made our productivity as high as it is on the, the biological side, on the forest side. Um, you know, does it need some tweaking from the regulatory perspective? Sure, and we're seeing some of that happening. More equity in private wood, incenting more productivity in private wood lots, uh, more conservation area. Um, but it's a very good piece of legislation that has allowed us to be, uh, to be as, have a, as productive a forest as, as we do have. Um, and, and that's why we stay because those things are create optimism and optimism attracts capital. Oh, that's a great summary. Uh, we're almost out of time. Uh, we would like to ask a final question though um, to both of you. Um, we'd like to ask about the growth opportunities for the sector. Um, maybe what areas uh, that are available for new investment? Are there additional manufacturing opportunities? Um, what about modular housing? There's a lot of lot of it, uh, opportunities in that question to answer. But uh, Kim, we're going to start with you. What are the opportunities for your industry uh, looking ahead? Yeah, I think we've touched on this in an, in a couple of the previous questions. You know, there's there's always potential for new product, uh, new market development. Um, you know, looking at some of the the more research-based areas at the moment, protein synthesis, lignin, 
Um, I think, Mike, you mentioned hydrogen capture is, is a great opportunity for some facilities. Um, so I think it's, you know, there's lots of opportunity there. It's, it's attracting that investment. Um, it's, it's often hard to find research dollars to develop some of these products or innovative processes. Um, you know, capturing more of the market share. I think there's opportunity there, particularly if, you know, globally we're looking at opportunities for, you know, addressing the climate change challenges, reducing carbon footprints and, um, you know, biofuel is a huge opportunity and blended fuels with, with biofuel. Um, I think that's going to be uh, an important focus moving forward. Mike, how about you? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, there's there's lots of things that are in the hopper and on the back burner. And, and the reason why they, they kind of simmer back there is because they're not necessarily core to the business. Um, and, and, and when they emerge is when the core business is solid and stable. And I think you're not seeing those things yet because the businesses don't have the confidence to say, you know, I should direct some capital towards, for example, we have the capability to synthesize feedstock for proteins. Uh, just the nature of our of our of our uh, of our green liquor, it's conducive to that. That would go into um, animal feed. Uh, we have the ability to, you know, we generate um, hydrogen gas at the NACWIC facility. We have no use for it, but we could. We could redirect it into a power boiler or something of that na nature, or put it put it into. Uh, uh, put it into uh, into the supply chain because uh, you can blend it with natural gas. Um, you know all kinds of, of different applications with lignin. Uh, lignin can be uh, feedstock to produce uh, a myriad of different uh, base chemicals that can go into the production of acetone, uh, biofuels. Uh, we use it. Uh, agriculture uses it as an, an adjuvant for for uh, for spreading fertilizer. But again, they're, they're, they're revenue streams that don't get explored and fleshed out until the company's confident the core business is there. And that all comes back to is the wood supply there? Is the, is the cost environment right? You know, are we confident we're going to have labor force in place? And um, so opportunity, absolutely. Opportunity abounds to, uh, to look into, into, new, into new bio products. Just need to have the right environment in order to launch ourselves into those things. Kim and Mike, thank you for joining us today on the Insights Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Dave. You've been listening to the Insights Podcast from the Acadia Broadcasting Corporation. Follow the show and listen to past episodes on your favorite podcast platform, like Apple or Spotify. If you've enjoyed the show, why not recommend it to a friend? Don and David will be back next week with another deep dive into some key issues in Atlantic Canada.